Welcome to Icetown Clowns, a podcast reviewing every episode of the NBC hit television show, Parks and Recreation. I'm Katie. I'm Jacob. And I'm Kirk. And let's get started. So we are reviewing today episode two, which is called Canvassing. And before we get started, I, we just want to encourage everyone to... Um, watch the episode from week to week. If you've never seen it before, then obviously you'd have to watch the episode to have any idea what we're talking about. And even if you have um, watched Parks and Rec before, either like us multiple times or sporadically, uh, it's definitely a lot more fun if you've watched the episode recently um, to kind of know the various things that we're talking about. So Unless it's this episode. Right. Please please skip this episode. But Most for of season one. But right. like the Star Wars series, episode two is definitely the worst episode in all of this. That is true. This has to be, I hope, the worst episode um, of the entire series. In fact, <laughs> I was listening to the first episode that we did um, – Recently, and Kirk, you say it's all uphill from here, and I would like to point out that that is a lie. It was not all uphill. This was a very steep downhill from the pilot. Um, so I apologize that we have already lied so blatantly. Um, you know, my statement may not be a lie. It's also possible to interpret uphill as a long, difficult slog. <laughs> I, I I will note that looking at the ratings on uh, IMDb. Uh, it this episode and the first episode are both rated as conjointly tied for the worst episode of Parks and Rec. So if you believe in democracy and the outcomes therein, things are going to get better. God, I hope so. Okay, so <laughs> the IMDb summary of this episode, and I will just say that IMDb summaries are actually written by just random people so sometimes they're better written than others and if i can find a better place to get my plot summaries from i will um but don't blame me for for any of the word choices anyway leslie gets a town hall meeting to discuss her park idea but she finds out that the public is less than receptive this episode was ep uh, directed by Seth Gordon, and it was written by Greg Daniels and Michael Shore, who are the showrunners, and also Rachel Axler. And do you guys want to know a really fun fact? It's, it actually applies to the entire series. Michael Shore, who is one of the co-writers and uh, showrunners for all seven seasons, is also the same person who played Mose from The Office. I oh, did know that. I, I didn't know I that at know, all. I don't That's know why great. I knew that, but I did. Yeah. Huh. I was very excited to discover that today. So, Okay, so who wants to start? So they dress Leslie up in a stupid outfit right at the start of this episode and have her not be able to understand that there were no eggs hidden. Uh, I mean, she looks like an idiot two minutes into this thing. Right. And Tom continues to be horrible, right, from the get-go. In a more Tom-like way this time, though, right? Like, he's not skeezy, he just doesn't give a shit about his job, which is definitely Tom. 
I guess. He is also wearing a pink shirt, which I feel like, like a, a, a statement pink shirt, which I feel like is at least heading us in the right direction wardrobe-wise for the character. I, I wonder if this, if it had happened in a later season, wouldn't have been a Jerry storyline, but he wouldn't have forgotten to hide any eggs. He'd have hidden them in the wrong place or hidden the wrong thing, but we wouldn't have had children completely bereft of eggs. We'd have had them finding Russian nesting dolls or something crazy, and it would have been a little <laughs> more Pawnee than just horrible and disappointing for everyone. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so pretty much right from the beginning, Leslie is going to see her mom um and she's excited about this subcommittee that she's on she wants um you know wants to see if her mom will come i i really i sat down and i tried to think of what i was going to say about this relationship with leslie and her mom and i don't have anything that doesn't involve me just crumpling up paper and throwing it at the wall so i'm, I'm which happens several times in this episode so I'm hoping one of the two of you does have something to say here. So she's as respected as Mother Teresa, as powerful as Stalin, as beautiful as Margaret Thatcher, and apparently as good of a mother as Lucille Bluth. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, guys, this is the moment where we pass the Bechdel test, which is a feminist test of shows that I feel like the limitations of which are explored here in terms of representing feminist values because Leslie's mom undermines everything that progress for women has meant for basically all of human history. So Pamela Reed, who plays Leslie's mother, uh, played the campaign manager in the HBO series Tanner 88, where she played like a tough-as-nails presidential campaign manager. So I feel like there was a way for her to have done this character that didn't come off completely just awful and denigrating to Leslie because I've seen her play really strong women in ways that aren't completely off-putting before. But she treats Leslie as bad as the first season does in her few seasons of a uh, few epi- uh, scenes of interaction with her in this episode. And I don't know, it's just I, it, it made me think about how this character sort of disappears as the show goes on. Yeah, I did think about that, too. I mean, this is not her only appearance, but she is mostly in the beginning of the show, which probably coincides with the stronger that Leslie gets, the less that we see her mother, um, because it just doesn't really work with, with the character. Do we know what her mother job is did i just miss that or it was something with the school district but they didn't specify in this episode exactly what it was it kind of feel like she's playing a role that will later be played by one of the many tammies yes yeah sort of a nemesis in another branch of government uh instead of being connected to ron she's of course connected to leslie um just leslie's desperation for her mother's approval in this first scene is you know, to go back to the first episode, very Michael Scott and very not later season Leslie Nope. Yeah. I, I noted I made a note of the desperation too. Um and I'm you know, a lot of people that eventually go into politics, not everyone, not to paint with a broad brush, but a lot of people really enjoy the attention and the feedback from 
voters and the people that they talk to and sometimes are seeking far too much approval, you know? Um, but I don't think that that's the point the show is making. I think I'm reaching because I'm trying to find meaning behind this sort of awful character and awful interaction. I actually think you're onto something. I think this is building accurately the Leslie who is incompetent and so desperate for mm-hmm. approval that is season one Leslie, who is just a different character than season two through six or seven Leslie um, in the end that we get the fully formed Leslie Nope. Right. I can't see Hillary Clinton begging for her mother's approval of a little committee that she's gotten started. Like, that's just not the Leslie that we know and love. Right. Yeah, and, and the show, the show again, I'll, I'll repeat a point I made last episode, it asks us to view this accomplishment of getting a subcommittee as laughable that anybody would care about it when later versions of Parks and Rec will ask, challenge us to ask why we don't care that, you know, getting a subcommittee is a relevant thing and government is a good thing. When we view government as bad and worthless, of course getting a subcommittee is lame and and sort of being excited about it as a show of incompetence. It's just a completely different worldview that the show will flip in hopefully the not-too-distant future. Right. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely right. So moving along to this subcommittee, which seems to be made up of Tom, Mark Brandanowitz, Anne, April... And Leslie, which I have questions about how those individual people got onto this subcommittee that I I don't know. It, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I'm going to just let that go. Um, well, it's all people who either report to Leslie or whom she, you know, guilted into it. I mean, April and Tom can't say no if Leslie says, you're on my right, committee. Right, you're doing it. Okay. Um, and they decide that they are going to canvas... Kirk or Jacob, do you want to describe what canvassing is? And then I can give my opinion on canvassing. So canvassing is something that Hillary Clinton should have done more of in Michigan, (laughs) Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Oh, I was not ready for that. (laughs) Too soon! (laughs) You know, canvassing is a great way. Like, I've only done canvassing from a political campaign perspective. I've never done canvassing for an issue like this. I have friends who've done, like, fundraising canvassing for charitable organizations, which just sounds awful. But canvassing is a great way to go out and see what the electorate is really feeling about an issue, going to people's doors, knocking on them. You have a lot of conversations. You really only talk to about a third of the people on your list. Um, some important differences between real canvassing and parks and recreation canvassing is that you have a list. You don't have like a five-pound binder that you're you know, hefting around the entire town while talking to people at their doors. You do have a script This is a bad one. But this is a really bad one. Yeah. And you're not supposed to be that slavishly devoted to the script. Um, You know, they did, however, resist the ultimate sin in political canvassing, which is going into someone's house. I always tell my volunteers, if you go into anybody's house, they're going to kill you. I almost had a candidate arrested whilst canvassing for that very sin. I once had a candidate, and she was canvassing as the candidate. She went into... Um, someone's house and I was parking the car when she did and I couldn't find her and eventually she came out of the house just 
sort of bemused because this woman had wanted her to sit to discuss the election in her living room, uh, cross-legged, uh, with a crystal between them <laughs> so that she could get a sense of the aura of the candidate. Um, that, that was a... That sounds like a plot line from this episode. I was to say, that was not that far afield from some of the people that Leslie and her friends met here. Uh, the best canvassing I ever did in political campaigning was when I was canvassing with uh, the candidate for Dallas County Sheriff. Uh, you really do get a higher contact rate when your candidate can pound on someone's door and say it's the sheriff and they want to talk to you. <laughs> um. uh. Yeah, my my best moment was my candidate was Mirandized for trespassing whilst we were canvassing, um, (laughs) which led to a frantic series of phone calls and texts to basically everybody I knew who either worked in politics or law to get advice about what to do at that particular moment. Um, It was a tell them nothing. It was a great experience. (laughs) Katie definitely didn't know anything about it. They are not your friends. They are gathering evidence. Do not speak to them. Settle down, Johnny Cochran. (laughs) Sorry. So I've had candidates chased by dogs. I had one candidate badly bitten by a dog uh, while canvassing in Dallas years ago. Uh, So it could have been a lot worse than uh, what happened to the Parks and Rec gang here, but not by much. If anyone is wondering who I am in this episode, the way that April just sort of follows everyone around, doesn't speak, stares down at her clipboard, and tries to leave at the soonest possible moment, that is how Katie canvasses, which is why I am not asked to help canvas um, anymore. So I will, I will note that the last time I almost ran a campaign in Northern Virginia, I got one text from Katie which said, I'll help in any way that isn't canvassing. Right. I don't canvass. I don't make phone calls. I'm not good at it. It it really upsets me. No one is happy. I will put so many stickers on things, um, and that's about it, which is why no one ever asked for my help. Yeah, let me make the, 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 the sort of earnest case for canvassing as somebody who devoted years of my life to helping organize people to canvass. It is, in many ways, the purest form of voter contact. It is somebody from the community talking to somebody else from the community about why something needs to happen in their community and in their elected representation. Um, the hardest part for me was when Leslie shuts Anne's personal story down. <laughs> the single greatest thing you have in canvassing is the personal story of somebody living in that neighborhood talking about why they're supporting an issue or candidate. Leslie is violating the single most valuable best practice we have. I will say, the voters' response of, that's a good idea, but I'm not sure, to the central tenant of what they were asking him to do, is, however, a very accurate representation of voters' attitudes towards politics. Oh yes, absolutely. Every single door you knock on when you're canvassing for a campaign, and you actually talk to somebody, if they're supportive of you, they're going to be effusive in their support until the moment you ask them to sign up to volunteer or to put together a plan for how they're going to vote, or to come to a town hall meeting like the woman that Leslie and Ann talked to who was very supportive of putting a park in. And I agree with Jacob. Canvassing is tough, grueling work. The volunteers who go out and canvass 
are the best people in politics, uh, and they face situations that are a lot like this, uh, and hopefully they do a lot better job at canvassing than Leslie and Anne. And a lot better than Mark Brandanowitz, who commits the greatest sin that any canvasser can, not finishing his pack. He probably even faked his data. He should be tried for war crimes. So I actually kind of disagree with that. I think that Anne actually commits the greater sin while canvassing in that when the gentle, uh, when the woman who gets mad at them about the park is very clearly opposed to it, and then proceeds to tell her about the town hall. Yeah, like, yeah no, well, you're right. What the fuck, Anne? This is someone you don't want to have be there. <laughs> to be fair, it's Anne's very first time doing anything political, and I don't think there was a whole lot of canvassing training that happened prior to her you know, hitting the pavement. That's a good point. Leslie violates that other best practice. Good call, Katie. She certainly did not do sufficient candidate training for the size of binder that she gave the poor people she sent out into the wild, desperate streets of Pawnee. Although I will say, that is the Leslie Nope that we know and love. Season 7 Leslie would still create that binder. Oh, absolutely. Um, And we would have had a nice long scene with her laying the binder out in the conference room where we get some Awesome comments from uh, Jerry and Donna, who really aren't people yet. So Right, right. Well, yeah, why isn't Jerry a part of this? I feel like late-season Jerry would have been my favorite canvasser, so earnest, so hardworking, and yet would have explained it backwards and finally convinced the person to oppose the park with, with the best intentions. And I'm sad that we missed that Jerry Gergich. Though we do get to see how Jerry actually acts in a political campaign in a later season, and I feel like his role is appropriate. I will note, for anybody who is ever thinking about canvassing in the future, um, it's it's not this bad, usually. You talk to very nice people who don't know a lot about issues, but are actually usually very excited to have somebody come to their house to talk about campaigns. Oh, I love canvassing. I, I went out and I canvassed. For a week for Hillary Clinton before the caucus and before the general election in Nevada. Should have gone to Michigan. Wait, Kirk, are you a Hillary fan? <laughs> wow, the things but, you learn. I know, right? Um, but, like, I will, I will canvas. I will go out and knock on people's doors all day before I will pick up a phone and call a voter, you know, at their house. That is what I can't stand doing. I support all forms of voter contact that turn voters out to vote. To be nice to both of you in your careers, I just will not say anything else on just how I personally feel while doing any contact with with voters. Everything you both said is is correct. <laughs> Everyone should volunteer, get involved in government. Yay. Well, Katie, it's a good thing nobody has anything negative to say about your profession ever either. <laughs> I know, that's why I can sit in this position of judgment, because no one could come at me. Speaking of, I have to address the Mark Brandanowitz scene when they're talking to that voter, and he has April stand behind him because the gentleman makes reference to being on the registry. I won't even talk about the registry, we won't even get into that, that's... A totally different subject, not appropriate for a show about an NBC comedy. Check out our other podcast, Things Katie Hates About the American Justice System. (laughs) 
That would be the worst podcast. <laughs> it would be so long. There'd be an endless supply of episodes. I don't know that she hates that more than she hates this episode of Parks and Rec, though. It would be pretty close. It's true. It's true. They are close. Also, it's just called being married to me, so poor Carter already has to be subjected to that podcast on a daily basis. <laughs> um, no, it's just the the way that Mark Brandenowitz handles that, because... I realize that if these are the only two episodes of Parks and Rec you've ever seen, that we don't have a great understanding of April Ludgate's character right now. But if there is anyone of that entire group of people that could take care of themselves in a situation with someone who's on the sex offender registry, it's April fucking Ludgate. Like, (laughs) she is absolutely the person who can handle that situation. The idea that she somehow needs to cower behind Brandanowitz is, I really almost turned off the episode and texted you guys to be like, forget it. We can't do it. I just, I can't talk about it. If anybody, it's Tom who needed to be protected. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Tom could have gotten behind Brandanowitz and I wouldn't have said a word. That would have made sense. Brandanowitz, though, is the hero once again in this scene, Oof. right? Yes. He undermines that shortly enough. We will, we will, we will get to that moment. Oh, I, I, okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, another We're six minutes into the episode and twenty-two minutes into the podcast. I know. I know. We I have know. a lot of feelings about <laughs> canvassing. This was gonna we trigger warning on this episode. Canvassing is such a wonderful thing, and it doesn't deserve to have this episode be in the Google results when you search for it. <laughs> Uh, Leslie has a really great, um, a little something I learned from Carl Rove about, um, tailoring questions. What Leslie is doing here is called a push-pull. It is, in fact, a dirty trick in politics that no reputable pollster or political operative would use, but it does not work talking to a single voter in person. To use this method, you would say call thousands of voters in South Carolina shortly before the Republican presidential primary and ask if you knew John McCain had a black child, illegitimate black child, would that impact your vote? That is how a this method would be used by a no-good, dirty, rotten scoundrel who had no ethics. But this effect, this is not only unethical on Leslie's part, it's also horrifically ineffective, which really is the combination that exemplifies season one, Leslie Nope. As a city employee, it might also be illegal. That's a great point that I had not thought of um and jacob what a weirdly specific example that you just managed to uh pull out to explain right then uh nice job Um, i make things up on the fly what can i say (laughs) that was that was great improv um i really like the the actress who plays the woman that's opposed to the park here her name is lennon parham i had to look that up she just she kind of is this type of character in a whole host of sitcoms in the early 2000s uh but this character i think is so true to life this person that is randomly against something that you just assumed everyone would be for um you know that sort of works up all of her like mom rage over an issue and is then there at the town hall to voice the unpopular opinion and it's I have met this woman so, so, so many times. I think it was just a really spot-on 
portrayal, good or bad. I just, I think it was spot on. The end. Yeah, no, I agree. She was really great. We kind of touched on this a second ago, but the whole scene, every time that Leslie is canvassing and how terrible she is at it, I think is, you could envision Michael Scott doing this entire scene, right? If Michael Scott canvassed, it would go exactly like this. And so we are not even close to breaking out of them just writing her as a female Michael Scott who, you know, basically turns everything they touch to shit. So apparently Andy is a cute FDR, though. (laughs) I wrote that down, too. (laughs) That That was a good line. I have to say, I liked seeing them play rock band. That's a great game. And I kind of miss it. Um, so that was a moment that I appreciated in this episode. And I did like Leslie throwing the binder on the ground. That's I, Yeah, I had a lot of feelings about April with the sweatshirt over her head. I don't know what it was, but God, that was like prime April. And now we're two episodes in where April and Andy have spent significant amount of time together in a scene without interacting at all. It's true. It's true. Which is exactly how it'll be throughout the entire series. That's it. That's all that happens. They just yes. hang out in a room. Um, that so might we... be accurate, actually, Kate. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, we meet the the current city manager, and uh, even just like hearing the title "city manager," I got a little excited, like for what's to come. Can, but... can I? Can I? Yeah. Can I back? Can I back up for one second? Yeah, of course. Of course. Okay. Okay. So they canvas, right? And then they and then presumably go back to the office the same day. I believe that's what we're meant to believe, which means they were canvassing in the middle of a workday on a weekday. Like I had assumed initially they were doing this on a weekend when they might have a contact rate above I don't know 3%, but like no, instead they're out canvassing in the middle of a weekday when they're going to get maybe 5% of people home. That's like a really inefficient way to do that. And since we've gotten really technical on canvassing and targeting already in this podcast, it felt worth mentioning to me. I hadn't even thought of that, but you're right. On the other hand, the people that they meet on their canvas, the doddering old man, the mothers and the pedophile um are basically the people that would be home at that time of day on a weekday that's true that is true okay guys have you gotten all the canvassing details out of your system i don't want to move on i want you to take your time is there anything else i'd like to litigate the targeting in wisconsin further (laughs) we need to move on so that we can trash how they represent town halls in this episode okay 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 good point also, so, but but if we could if we could talk about the the scene with Ron and the city manager, yes, Ron seemed weirdly concerned about his job performance and how a government bureaucrat viewed him in that yes. scene, like him like suddenly wanting Leslie to get really involved and really energized about moving this park forward is so not Ron. I've never seen him concerned like that before like that is just not Ron to me. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was very odd that he would be concerned about what his boss thought, that he sort of even, like, had some sort of reverence for the the city manager and then passed that along to Leslie and, and not in any kind of, like, supportive way, but in a 
kind of aggressive way. Um, it was it very out of character, I thought. Um, but it does give him this great line about there being a new wind in government with all the federal money coming in and build parks and start new community programs. And, uh, Guys, remember the stimulus? No. When we saved America from bankruptcy? I remember when we didn't get any credit for it. It was just a little, it was a little harsh uh, to hear that and then have to go live in 2017. But anyway, um, and actually a kind of the next note that I have is really Leslie um, saying that they should build this park and, and actually work on it because maybe a pit full of garbage isn't the best we can do in America and that, you know, in Russia, they could just pretend it was a park. But here in America, we would actually build the park because we were a nation of dreamers. And again, I almost turned the episode off for a totally different reason. How could she possibly know that the Russians would stumble upon the theory of tricking us into taking that pit full of garbage and putting it in the White House? (laughs) Oh, oh, Damn it! Now they're gonna hack us because of this podcast. Guys, we all—we all have two-step verification, and I'm gonna leave that joke there. Uh, I do like that in this scene. Leslie um, talks about how she wants to be president someday, which in later seasons seems like an aspiration for Leslie. In this season, seems like a really bad joke that makes her look silly uh, because of the way they. They they portray her character, um, so I thought that I thought that sort of jumped out at me. Plus, she said she'd be the first female president of the United States, a position that is still available to her. That's true. I did note that she still could be. Um, okay, so now we get to the town hall itself. We haven't talked about Tom and Tom making these phone calls to all of these businessmen that he knows and essentially offering them government contracts um which i'm pretty sure he can't unilaterally do but it also didn't sit well with me because i don't feel like tom once he's fully developed would have all of these great fantastic business connections that he was able to so quickly wheel and deal and get them to come to this town hall it just that doesn't match up with i think what happens later yeah, the self-dealing is very Tom, but I agree that, that we haven't seen him established to the point that he would know these people. Though I do get the impression from some of the calls that these people don't have any idea who he is, because you see him occasionally making his aggressive pitch and then pausing and saying, Tom, Tom Haverford. <laughs> I didn't catch that, but that actually does, uh, that fits a lot more. So uh, we're at the town hall and we're, we have Leslie's mom show up again. And be even worse, not to Leslie, but uh, to the camera while talking in one of those asides about how she encouraged Leslie to grow up and be a wife and mother. Right. It's just like, no, Leslie Nope was not raised to be a wife and mother. Nobody ever told her that that was the limit of her possibilities in her life. That is not the character. Uh, that 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 Leslie Note becomes. It might be the character that they've created in this first season, but that's just wrong. <laughs> and I don't even know that it is. To be honest, even the character as she exists in this episode, that doesn't make a lot of sense, you know? Because she's gotten this job in the Parks Department. She 
clearly loves it. She clearly has all of this work ambition. It it would be very odd if she had been raised in a household that told her that, you know, she shouldn't do any of those things. I, it just doesn't come through even with the character as she is now and as she is later. I agree. I, I think it's out of place, and I just think it doesn't fit with what happens in the rest of the series, and it doesn't fit even within this episode. They just wanted to make this mean woman, so they did, and it doesn't work. It's kind of my thought. Yeah, we're meant to agree with Leslie's mom, and that is horrifying. Yeah. Not because there's anything wrong with being a wife and a mother, but because it just doesn't fit. She's saying it in some pejorative way, and it doesn't it just doesn't work. Oh, right. Absolutely. She's the one who's turning it into a pejorative. Like, right. there's, it's wonderful to be a parent and to be married and all of that. It's like, but the mother is saying that, that somehow that's a lower ambition and thus something her daughter should aspire to, which is a terrible message on both fronts. Right. It's, it's the, the equivalent of a Southerner saying, like, you know, she, she's so sweet. Uh, so, okay, I'm a Southerner and we don't say that. What we say is, bless, bless your, your heart. heart. Okay, I'm not a Southerner. Yeah, that was made clear by that moment just yeah. then. Bless your heart, Jacob. <laughs> Touche. Um, all right, now we have to talk about my least favorite moment of the entire series. It has to be. It cannot. There's no way there's another moment that's worse than this, which is when she starts flailing and turns to Mark Brandanowitz and has him come up and speak for her and i think the episode is trying to show him again in some sort of hero light even though he doesn't save the day i i I still think we're supposed to see it as a good kind gesture on his part it (sighs) yeah she totally she totally flees behind or or tries to hide behind him right right flails up there in a way that leslie nope would not and then, in desperation, hands the microphone over to Brandanowitz, who, as you said, doesn't actually measure up to the ch- challenge. But it's just it was just bad. It's like it was all the problems with the first episode presented again. And it makes you think that this is how they're going to do this show, episode after episode of this ambitious woman who isn't up to the challenges she puts to herself and thus has to be bailed out by Mark Brandanowitz over and over and over again. And that's not a show I would have wanted to watch. Yeah, this show massively corrects this at a later moment when we get Le- Leslie Monster um, giving a speech under much more trying circumstances and performing significantly better. Um, but this, it, we also have another character acting completely out of character here in Ron Swanson, who... In later seasons, if Leslie was for some reason floundering, would have jumped in and saved her and not just pointed out that the Titanic was sinking. Um, He's of no help here, and that is not the bacon-eating Ron Swanson I know and love. Yeah, I I had made that note, too, and I I said it earlier, but yeah, that this this is not what Ron does. Ron is helpful and supportive and not not this guy um and i i mean we've we've kind of said this before but this whole idea that leslie is the one being incompetent instead of 
Leslie doing the competent thing and sort of running up against the insanity that in kind of illogical rules that sometimes permeate local government, instead of that being the story, it's just her failing while everyone sort of mocks her or looks away. Um, I mean, there's a reason this is the lowest rated episode of the show. And I think that's, that's why is because it wasn't working and they figured it out. I mean, I think they deserve some credit for that, but I I will say this this scene though does contain the first element of Leslie doing something that Hillary Clinton's campaign actually did and because I'm a, a an honest broker here I will point out that the planted question from a youth at a town hall was a thing that happened in 2008 uh, and is perhaps the first really Hillary Clinton-ish thing that Leslie Nope has done in these brief two episodes. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. No, oh, I forgot. I forgot about that. I My note, because I had completely forgotten that was a real thing, was that it is actually, it's a sweet moment for April. I mean, she doesn't, we don't know what she's going to say when she stands up there, and she didn't have to do what Leslie asked, but she did, and, you know, that, I think that fits with April's character and everything that we learn about her later, and I, I didn't remember that we kind of saw that nice side of her this early on, um, so that was, I guess, one positive thing (laughs) I can say about that. Yeah, no, uh, I agree. April came out fully formed, fully ready to go and ready for prime time. And the rest of these characters, with very few exceptions, maybe other than Andy, need a lot of work. Ron maybe is, Ron has about 60% of Ron, but the rest of them need a lot of work. Well, I feel like they don't know what Ron is yet in this episode, because he's not the character he was in the first episode. It's like they're trying on different Rons in these two episodes to see which one they want to go with. That's fair. Yeah, there is. So the the very last sort of scene, um, and if we have more to talk about the town hall, we can certainly go back to that. But the very last scene is when Leslie's talking to the camera and, you know, she's saying, oh, I loved every minute of it. And the guy's like, Park Lady, you suck. And she's like, did you hear that? He called me Park Lady. It was the one positive thing, though, that I actually had to say about this episode because I think you see the tiny bits of at least why this character speaks so much to me and to a lot of people is this is sort of you're starting to get the hints of this is someone who loves this job and loves the hard parts of this job and has been excited to do this job as small as it may be for so long that, you know, being a local government employee, being on a subcommittee, standing up there and, you know, putting forth your ideas and having people like yell at you, plenty of people can't wait to do that. I mean, in in the context of me and my work, it's, you know, there's kind of a joke with public defenders that no matter what you do, how good or bad it is for a client, a lot of people are always like, well, should I get a lawyer for this case? And 
to me, the first time that ever happened to me for real was like, yes, I'm doing it. You know, like I'm here, I'm doing this job that I've wanted to do, even though it's a negative comment. Um, it's just like, you're like, I'm in it. I am finally living the good and bad of this this service that I've always wanted to be a part of. And so I'm stretching because you have to stretch to see any positive in this episode. But I did. I, I felt it just a little bit at the end there. I find that very interesting because my take on that line was that this is just another Michael Scott type moment where she's completely clueless about the tone that's being thrown at her. But I actually like your reading of it much better. I think that's a much more hopeful uh, and aspirational for the show reading on the uh, on the line. Well, we got to go up somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I return briefly to the the filibuster? Um, of course. Uh, as as somebody who has participated in a filibuster, um, I think it's worth remembering the the history of of the time that filibuster, especially among Democrats, had become a dirty word. Right? This is April of '09. We're just getting ready to see healthcare and everything else that we want to see passed blocked by filibusters, um, and and yet the filibuster is a time honored tradition that at various times has been employed by both major parties to stop, you know, what they viewed as horrible legislation. It is worth noting, however, that the longest filibuster in the history of the United States Senate was to stop the Civil Rights Bill, so I'm not going to defend filibusters as having an unbroken and positive history. I have just used them before to, you know, benefit our side when it was advantageous and necessary. So Pawnee obviously has weird rules about filibustering at various kinds of meetings, as we will see in later seasons. I'm confused by the mechanics of a town hall <laughs> in Pawnee. Sure, yes. Whereby... Guys, let's go deep on this. Yeah, I mean, this is what people tune into this podcast yeah, for. Yeah, 43 minutes in of a 25-minute TV episode. Let's do this. Both our okay. listeners are so excited right now. Jason, I'm very sorry. So, seriously, in this town hall that Leslie is in, um, anybody can show up. And at some point, anyone in this town hall can call for a vote to kill any city program that's being discussed in a town hall. And whatever random assortment of people show up with no verification of their residency status or registration to vote can just kill whatever proposal is being discussed. How is that a functional but, system for government? Guys, there could be Eagletonians in that room. There oh could God. be. There could be. In fact, there almost certainly are. And only prior to 9 p.m., after 9 p.m., then no one can take any votes inexplicably. You know, Wendy Davis went a lot later than 9 p.m., so I'm not that impressed, Leslie. Like, guys, for all we know, that's 10 p.m. in another county in Indiana, and yeah, that's another West Wing joke. Nice. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Thank I you. I liked it. Um, it's the best episode of West Wing ever. It is. It is. I can't wait for them to get to it on West Wing Weekly. <laughs> That's right. I just plugged another podcast for free in the hopes that maybe someday they'll email me. Um, or return the favor. Right. Right. Oh, We're man. all in the NBC family, people. <laughs> Josh Molina, I love you. It's fine. You can write me whenever you want. I also have great things to say about Harry's razors. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, Jacob. They're going to reach out to us. 
Um, okay. I don't have time to shave. I'm too busy cooking delicious meals with blue apron. <laughs> oh, God. This is very narrow audience. Um, does anyone have anything else about this episode that we have not talked about? Any note? That. There are a couple of things I really did like about the episode. A couple okay. lines, things like that. I yeah. loved Leslie's mom's line, in or out, Leslie, doorway is creepy, when Leslie's like hovering <laughs> in the doorway trying to see her mother. Yeah. Also, in this episode, Leslie says that she was voted best dressed in her class by 87 votes when her class only had 63 people. Two things. One, Leslie just admitted to committing voter fraud. She went and to school in Chicago. It's okay. <laughs> And two, so how big is Pawnee if Pawnee High School has a graduating class of 63 people? Does oh. a city that has a high school that graduates 63 people have a city government? Does it have parks? Do we assume there's only one high school in Pawnee? Do you have two high schools if one of them is graduating <laughs> 63 people? Do we assume she went to a public school? Yeah, yes. Leslie Nope went to public school. <laughs> of course, Leslie. Her mother works for the school district. <laughs> um, for some reason, I assumed this was like an elementary school election, but maybe I just—I don't know—imagine. But if you that have six in my head, uh, that's okay. a lot of people in your like elementary school class. That teacher was definitely <laughs> underpaid if she if. She, he or she had to deal with that many kids in their class on a daily basis. So either way, it doesn't make sense. Also, we're we're yeah. now talking about two dramatically different projections for Pawnee's population. <laughs> if Pawnee has 63 people in a high school graduating class or has 63 people in each elementary school class, I mean, one of these is you know, a town of 800 people and the other is New York City. <laughs> I like I would like to shout out the the Leslie can't the four-year-old watch the two-year-old line as as somebody who has no idea how children work. Um, as Katie has repeatedly and gleefully pointed out, I probably shouldn't have them. But, like, it just, you know, it, it encapsulates so much of how I felt about children. Yeah, no, it's true. If I didn't have my own child, I probably also wouldn't know that. It's It's... It's somewhat reasonable that she asked that question. But yeah, it was a good moment. I liked it. I also liked the town hall when she's filibustering. She starts talking about the future of Pawnee and mentions that we will be communicating with each other on our watches, which I do. Oh, wow. Hmm. I didn't catch that, but that's pretty awesome. Yep. I, I have to agree with Tom. Like, I, The Phantom Tollbooth is a really awesome book. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But kind of a lame tag. Like, compared to the Ron tag at the end of the first episode, that was sort of weak. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it only goes up from here. Yeah, this might not have been the best episode of Parks and Recreation. Controversial opinion alert. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, well... If you want to email us to tell us that we are wrong and this is the best episode of Parks and Recreation, we'll probably just delete it. But uh, we'll forward it to Mark Brandanowitz at gmail.com. Right. 
You can email us at icetownclowns at gmail.com. You can go over to Facebook at facebook.com slash icetownclowns and write us a um, monologue about how we're wrong and it's the best episode of Parks and Rec. Uh, you can tweet at us at at icetownclownpod or you can visit our website www.icetownclowns.com. And stay tuned next week when we review episode three, The Reporter. And if you have friends who, like you, would enjoy hearing 49 minutes of discussion of a 22-minute episode of television, I strongly encourage you to go on iTunes and like our show, give it a five-star rating, a four-star rating. Don't go below four stars, please. Uh, or like us in your podcast player, if that's Stitcher, if that's uh, Google Play. Just do something to help us go up in the rankings, and we're going to grow a bigger audience so that they, too, can understand that this is not how canvassing works, and this is not how a town hall works, and that Leslie's class size makes no sense whatsoever. I love it. All right, Jacob, you want to see us out? You've been listening to Ice Town Clowns, a podcast which is ending about a terrible episode of Parks and Rec, which wasn't good. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.